0: Well, good evening, everybody, once again. Yeah, that's a call and response. Call and response. Thank you. So I mentioned last night that I became a Christian. I think I mentioned this last night. I became a Christian when I was a freshman at Kent State University back in 1988. And the year before, I had actually been an exchange student living in Italy, and I wasn't a Christian. And I didn't know any Bible at all. Uh, I just d- really didn't know anything about Christian subculture at all. But I took a Bible with me while I was over there, almost, I think, as a good luck charm, flying all the way across the Atlantic, right? I, was, I, I took this good news Bible with me. It used to have stick figures in it that they, they gave out at different places. And uh, so then when I got really lonely and didn't know how to speak the language, Italian, I'm like, the only English I have is this Bible I'm going to start reading it. And I didn't understand what was going on in hardly any bit of it, except two spots. One was "Ecclesiastes," um, which is still one of my favorite books to this day. I just so resonated with this guy who we think is Solomon, who, or at least is representing Solomon, that has everything in the world, and yet he continues to conclude over and over again, "It's all vanity. And that I, and I just, it, it just was making sense to me already as an 18-year-old. And the other passage was in Romans chapter 7. And I don't even know how I got myself into Romans. But Romans chapter 7, some of you know right away what I'm talking about. Uh, 7, verses 7 through 25, but I'm just going to read a couple of them to you here. Verse 15, Paul said, I do not understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I remember sitting over there in Italy just saying, oh my gosh, that's totally me. I know, in verse 18, I know nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I don't do the good that I want, but instead do the evil that I do not want, is what I keep on doing. And I just thought, I, won't, I don't know who this guy is. And I didn't know who the other guy was that was writing Ecclesiastes, but for the first time, I was like, I really, maybe there's some guys in here that I can relate to. And that was my introduction to the Bible talking about the battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. And of course, Paul was going to say then in the next chapter, look, the spirit comes into you so that you don't do what the flesh wants to do. So you actually could live in a way where the flesh is not dominating your life anymore. You die to the flesh, and, and you live in this new spiritual reality when Jesus comes to dwell inside of you, right? But the reality is that tension never goes away, does it? If you're, Yeah, go everybody shake it. It doesn't. And sometimes I think, again, we get into this Christian subculture, and, and we go to Christian schools, and, we, and that's all good, but sometimes we get into these places where, where we start to polish the outside so much with each other that we forget that we're actually in a constant internal war to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God so that our flesh will not be able to have control. That battle never goes away. And I wanted to start with that passage, or just with that reminder tonight, because we're going we're gonna to look at a passage where it's going to be very easy to be judgmental towards this group of people that we're going to look at tonight. And I uh, was sitting at breakfast with my son Eric, who's working here this summer, and Amy, my wife, and we were talking this morning just about how helpful it is to have friends in your life who can act as life coaches for you. You know, life coaching is like a big thing now. People are getting paid like crazy to be friends, basically, uh, to tell me what to do, right? And uh, it's nice if you don't have to pay them. Like, if you just have some people in your life that, will, that you could ask, where, where am I winning in life and in the way I work maybe here at Hume Lake? It'd be cool if you, by the end of the summer you could say, what am I really good at? And what are some areas as you watch me you think I need to grow at? And really, um, what the Bible ends up being, at least for me, at least this is the way I think about it, I think God purposely left the stories that he left for us because every one of these people that are represented here can wind up being our life coach. Every one of these people that are kept here, again, there's been a gazillion people that lived that we'll never know about, but God kept certain ones in here who, if you look at their life, it says really clearly, oh, don't do this. Or in other cases, oh, this, this would be really good if you modeled this. If you followed after what this guy did, what, the, what this woman did, you should do more of that. Oh, oh don't, don't do that. You can do it if you want, but watch and see what happened to them, right? So that's, that's kind of the, the lens through which I tend to, that keeps the Bible fresh for me, because I keep saying, okay, what am I supposed to learn from these characters that were kept from me? So tonight... We're going to look at a passage back in Exodus, And it's a passage it's interesting I was thinking about this even in my own study. I think there's two places um, in, the, in, in the life of the Jews that are represented in the Bible that are so audacious and so heinous in what they represent. And I don't know which one is worse. One. Is when Pontius Pilate is standing with Jesus and he wants to let him go. And all the Jewish people say, kill him. That's a really bad moment in Jewish history, right? It is. And then there's this other verse that we're getting ready to look at right now that I think competes with it for being one of the worst moments. But it's one we can really learn from as we sit here in 2023. Okay, let's let them be our life coach. And we're not gonna look at this and say, oh, how could they do this? We're gonna say, how did that happen? And what do I need to check inside myself to make sure it's not happening right now inside of me? That's where we're going to go with this, okay? With the time we have. So open up in your Bible, if you have it, to Exodus. Well, and this is what I'll do for you. I'm going to give you an overview of Exodus chapter 7 to the end of 19. How's that? Okay. Okay just so we can kind of cut to the chase on some things here. So listen, 7 to 19 is some of the most amazing God intervention moments in the lives of human beings that happen in any place in history, okay? These, this group of Israelites, this is what they get to see happen. One, they get to see all these, these miraculous plagues that come down on Pharaoh, right? When they're still slaves and, and, and uh, Moses is saying, just let us go and you can be done with this. Pharaoh digs in his heels. They watch nine wild things happen to these folks. They see a tent thing happen that ends up becoming called Passover, where the firstborn of every Egyptian is, is killed unless there was blood put over the door, over the Jewish doors. You know this, right? And then the angel of death would pass over their home. Think about that. Okay. I mean, think about what it would be like to actually live in that moment where these things are happening. The Israelites in, uh, get to experience this. They um, experience the provision and presence of God in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That he comes down and he dwells in some kind of way, in this visible way, where this cloud uh, lights their path or, or gives them direction during the day and the fire shows them where to go at night so they can keep traveling even in the evening. Just think about how mind-blowing that would be. He, they're there when the water splits open, and they cross on dry ground and watch the water crash behind them to kill all the Egyptians. Again, that can, can almost just sound like that's a Disney movie, right? It was a Disney movie, wasn't it? <sighs> Wild that they got to experience that they saw Moses, they were out in the desert, and they had bad water, and they're like, what are we going to drink now? And they saw Moses strike the water with the same staff he had used to do stuff in front of Pharaoh, and the water became drinkable, which, well, I didn't tell my water story, maybe I referenced it last night, but when you don't have good water to drink, you some of you guys, I did tell the story too. <laughs> It's really important to have water that you can drink. And so they miraculously were given water. They experienced the provision of this man of bread when their food became scarce. Okay, they're, they're on the edge of not being able to live, and God keeps intervening in a way that makes it absolutely obvious that it's him that's doing it through this guy named Moses. Just these amazing things that are happening. They drank water again that came from a dry rock. They defeated Amalek in the desert. They had this little mini war that they shouldn't have won, and they did. And they experienced God's presence sensually at Mount Sinai. They got to this place at the at the base of a mountain that was just amazing, like you, you know one of these mountains that we have out here. And God's presence came in a cloud and with lightning and thunder and trembling and the kind of stuff that, like makes you pee yourself, right? Just like horrible, like scary things that you don't usually get to experience in normal life. But when it happens, it like, it leaves a mark on you. That's what they're doing from Exodus 7 all the way up through the end of 19. And then in, and what happens with all the trembling and the thunder and the lightning is Moses goes up and he talks to God. And we come to Exodus chapter 20. So open up your Bible to 20. And we'll start moving through some passages. Amy, would you bring me that water bottle that I think I left back there, please? Thank you. My lovely wife, Amy Uzinski, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Art. Thank you. Uh, Exodus 20. And we know what this is because your Bible tells you right there. You see it on your phone. This is the Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words. And he said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to any of them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And of course, so he starts there, and then he gives nine more commandments. And again, these are provisions, really, and we're not going to get into this, but this this is a way to protect your life and to provide for you. Live by these, and good things will happen, okay? You you won't bring evil on you. You'll, You'll continue to have my blessing. And so through the next few chapters, he's given more laws about different relationships and how they're supposed to interact with each other. And then Exodus 24, turn over there, after all of this happens, Exodus 24, verses 1 through 3, says, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you uh, and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. Everything that had just happened in these last few chapters. And get this, all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And all the people said, amen. Because really, when you think about it, the Bible should have ended right there. Which would have made you like, read through the Bible in a year. It would have gone way easier, right? We're talking What is that, like 82 chapters is all you got? It's like a chapter a week. Because God gives the law, and the people say, we got it. We're going to do everything you said to do. We got this. We're all about it. So God calls Moses up to the mountain again in Exodus 24, 14. He calls him up to the mountain again, and we don't need to read this, and Moses tells the people, look, if you've got any problems while I'm up here, I'm going to go back and visit God again on this mountain. Take your problems to Aaron and her. They'll take care of it until I get back, okay? And again, all the people are totally on board with it. So then we get to, well, from 24 to 32, we actually get a foreshadowing of everything that God is telling Moses while he's up there. Okay? So we actually get to a peek behind the curtain that the Israelites hadn't actually seen yet. Instead, we go to chapter 32. Okay? Okay? Everything between 24 and 32 is God saying, here's some more stuff on how I want you to live. But down at the bottom of the mountain, it says, when the people saw, and this is where we're going to hang out tonight. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, get up and make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses the man who brought us up out of our land of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are, your God. these are your gods now, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And what that word play means is they had a wild party. They were wilding, okay? Like it got crazy. So <clears throat> tell me this, why do the people, after everything that we just, after everything that we just read and heard and everything that they had just experienced, why do the people ask Aaron to make a new God for them? <coughs> It's a real question. I'd like some feedback. They wanted, something they, could see. they wanted something that they could see? Okay. They were, they were impatient. Why do you say that they were impatient? They were waiting for Moses to come back down and it wasn't on their timing. Yeah, she said they were waiting for Moses to come down and it wasn't on their timing. They were impatient. They wanted something that they could see. What else? Does anybody have anything else that you're pulling? It's not giving us too much, but it's too hard. Why do you say too hard? It's too hard for them to follow. They not want, even though they said, all right, amen, we got this, we'll do it. Then it was like, it's too hard. You see what things are like. I mentioned this to you guys on Sunday morning, you guys that are working here at Hume. Like, everybody can do the Jesus thing for 14 days, right? And we'll see where you're at in two and a half months. They were 40 days in. And maybe things weren't going exactly the way they had hoped. But they became impatient. And they wanted things to start looking the way they wanted them to look, whatever that was. And so here's the question for us to think about tonight with the time that we have. And there's so much in here that we could do. But I just want to sit in this first verse. And I want to ask the question, what do you do do when God makes you wait? What do I do when God makes me wait. Because how we handle God-ordained delays is a measure of our spiritual maturity. It really is. And again, if you start digging into this whole idea of waiting, I mean, it's a major Bible theme. Okay? It is is an indicator how we respond to God having us wait for things. It's a great indicator of how much we really are submitted to him and are saying, not my will, but your will be done. So what do we do when God makes us wait? What are some of the categories of waiting that test our willingness to trust God? And again, this is Normally, and again, there's a lot more people in here tonight, which doesn't bother me at all, and I didn't do this very well last night. Normally, I I, I really want some interaction. I'm not here just to give a speech. I want us to engage the text, and I want you to engage your own situation in your own mind. And Think about this with me, okay? I've already thought about it a lot. I want you to think about it. So what are some of the categories of life that are difficult to trust God for, like you find yourself waiting for these things. You, and some of you are old enough that you've already had a long list of things that you've waited for and you had to trust God for. And I'm not asking you whether you were successful at it or not, but what are the categories? Let's hear some. Go ahead. Marriage, Marriage is the first one I wrote down. Yes. <laughs> waiting on the Lord for, for the right partner, for the person that you're, you're supposed to marry. Good. What else? Yes, sir. A good community, okay, I actually hear that talked about quite a bit today, especially in the time that we live in, people that you can actually connect to. Go ahead. Health. Health. Mm-hmm. When you're sick, when something's broken in your body, and you just want to be well again, and you're waiting for the, the great physician mm-hmm. to bring it back to working function, at. that's, a, that's a, a big one. What else? A job. A job. Huge. The vocational life again again an interesting mix This is such a bizarre crowd all the time to speak to because we've got retired people in here that are thinking in a different category and we've got a whole bunch of college students or just got out of college so put the shoes on as they fit a job yeah god provide a job for me go ahead uh, vocational, ministry. vocational ministry okay like what do you, what lane do you want me to go down god because there's all these different ones you're going to, even out here at Hume, you get exposed to all these different, you know, lanes that you could go down to minister in. Which one am I supposed to go down? What else? Salvation of friends. The salvation of friends or family members. That can be a grinding weight when you desperately want to see this change, right? Or the, you know, your whole family dynamic, you know what it would look like if Jesus would just come into it, but he hasn't. And it's really messy. What else? What else are you sitting on? Pretty much almost all the answers came from over here. If you guys have anything back here, go ahead. Represent. A prodigal child. My goodness. Rip your heart out waiting. I'm seeing what else that I had written to myself. How about a conflict being resolved? Wow, that's hung over me for a, quite a while. Because see, for conflict to be resolved, both parties need to want to come to the table. And it just seems like for me, for the last decade, I have gotten myself in all kinds of conflicts that people don't want to resolve with me. <laughs> and it bothers me. It bothers me. Um, waiting for a promotion. Waiting for playing time. Some change to happen. Again, that sounds so simple, but you're waiting to get something that you're not having. All of these represent different contexts where God has a chance to grow us into something that we wouldn't become on our own. So that's one thing I just just need to remind myself of that. All of these are contexts where God has a chance to grow us into something that we wouldn't become on our own. We wouldn't become what he wants us to become if we weren't put in those situations and forced to be confronted with whether or not we're going to trust him with it or not. John Ortberg, some of you remember John Ortberg, pastor, an author. He says, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Get that? Waiting is not just about uh, uh, hanging in there until you get what you want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Okay, so we've set the table. What I wish would have happened with these guys, and I, I said the Bible should have ended back in 24, I wish somebody, and it's, I don't know, Maybe somebody tried, so the Bible leaves out a lot, right, in terms of what actually happened in the midst of a a gazillion people. Maybe somebody tried, but what I wish somebody had been able to accomplish when when a handful of people, because that's how this stuff always starts, a handful of people didn't want to wait. They wanted to see their own God. They grew impatient, and they were like, it's time for us just to take this back into our own hands. What I wish somebody would have done is said, no, wait. Remember what we said. We're going to do everything that God wants. Remember everything we've seen him do. Like, this is crazy that we're going to do this, in fact. It's it 2,000, no, this is way more than 2,000 years later. People are going to look at this and just say, what were you all thinking? Okay? We already said we're not going to do that, though, because what was in them is in us just as much today. That impatience, even though they had seen all that they had seen. My goodness. I just think about this even for pastors. Like, what, what, what did they say? What were their reasons then? Look back in the text. What were their reasons for going ahead and doing it? What did they say, literally? He's taking too long. Taking too long. We've already said that. And look, even how they talk about him. I don't know what, what your version says, how it translated, but as for this Moses. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to read it like that. (laughs) As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's become of him. We don't know where he's at. And I just think, okay, well, I I get that. Because, see, when I don't want to wait, when I've already made up my mind that I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what it is that God, for them, has plainly said, don't do this. When I've already made up my mind that I'm going to do what I want to do, I need to start revisionist history. I need to start changing the narrative. I need to start convincing myself in some kind of way that this is going to be justifiable action. So this is a great way. This joker Moses, you know, I didn't trust him to begin with, you know? I don't know where he got that water from. Like, we've been out here. We, we wanted to go back to Egypt, which we're going to get more of that in a few chapters further. We'd rather be back in Egypt. Moses. We don't know when he's coming back. And so you start to play mind games with yourself. Instead, at that very moment, when I start to feel the mind games start to creep in is the very moment when I need to remember the passages that we're about to look at here in a second. And hold on. Like, this is the game, in a sense, that God has put us in. To say one of the things that I want to see is just how how are my people going to respond to me? Are they going to trust me? Because without faith, it's impossible to be pleasing to God. And, And so I need to see faith. I need them to trust me that I have their best in whatever the circumstances are that I'm allowing them to be in. I have their best, and I need them to wait for me to work it out. What is it that makes it so difficult to wait what is it that makes it so difficult to wait? Again, just on a human level, and then I want to look at some verses here. Just for sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what my list is for why it's so difficult for me to wait. One thing I wrote down is just fear of missing out on an opportunity, that I see this opportunity that's in front of me. Uh, you know, we talked about a job. I, I can't tell you how many times it's come up with friends, with one friend or another who gets this, this amazing job opportunity, okay? But it's going to pull them away from family. It's going to force them to have to move away from community that's already been established. It's, you know what? It's going to pay them a ton more. So there's some there's some positives to doing it, but all there's this long list of negatives. Okay, and it's, it's this great opportunity that I can't pass up, even though everybody around you is saying, "Dude, I'm not sure I'd do that." Okay. Fear of missing an opportunity, not knowing how it's going to end. Is that ever difficult for you when it comes to waiting? You would talk about waiting for a spouse. And it's like, this is my last summer. I'm going to be around Christian people of the opposite sex. Like, I better get this done now. (laughs) Right? Because I don't know how this is going to end. And in fact, the future I see, like, okay, we're going to have to do something now. I can't wait. Uh, Feeling out of control. I mean, this waiting implies being submitted and surrendered to to this someone else, to this God who I'm going to say has my best interest, and whatever his plan is is going to be the best thing for me. I don't like being out of control. Most people don't like that feeling of being out of control and giving ourselves over to anybody that we can see, let alone somebody we can't see. You with me? I wrote down impatience. I'm just impatient. I don't want to wait, see how it's going to work out. In fact, I'm capable enough to get this worked out myself. Okay? I got this. And if it gets messy afterwards, maybe God will fix it, but I'm going to go ahead and get this done. Just impatient. And how about this? Just, I just want immediate gratification. So that's probably a lot, of, a lot of flesh in that too, but whatever it is, anytime I've made my list of the things that I've God's asked me to wait for... I, got a, I have a route where I can just feel better now most of the time. And I got to make a decision on whether I'm going to choose to delay that gratification or am I just going to go ahead and satisfy myself by going out down my path. I still remember this, just real quick, because I haven't thought about this for years, but it came to me as I was preparing. I must have been, I don't know, six or seven years old. I got 20 bucks for my birthday. And my mom took me to some store, probably Kmart or something. It was like pre-Walmart days. <laughs> but it was Walmart-ish, you know what I mean? And so it's gonna, I'm going to get some kind of cheaper toy. And we—when I was so excited to go like I want. When you're a kid, you hate getting money for your birthday, right? Don't kids hate getting money for their You want a present. You want a toy to play with. What am I going to do with this piece of paper? Okay? But mom says, we can take this piece of paper and go turn it into something. So let's go to the toy store. Okay. So she said, this is what I think you should do. You should get some Lincoln Logs. So again, this is for the old heads in here. You young guys don't. I mean, I'm going back. I told you, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Used to come in a big barrel, right? Amazing. And she's trying to describe them to me. And we go to the island, we're looking for Lincoln Logs, and they don't have them, okay? And, and she said, you, I know you will have a good time with these because I love building things. And like, she just knew this was the right gift for me. And she said, they don't have them, so she gave me the choice. She said, we can wait and we'll go to another store or they're go- these are going to come in in a few days or you can, I wish she even- wouldn't have even given me this choice. You know where this is going. Or you can buy something from, from this shelf and you can take something home tonight. And I still remember, again, I'm six or seven years old, I remember a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> the stress that I felt. Because I really did believe my mom. Like, my mom's never lied to me. Like, she's really convinced and passionate about whatever these Lincoln Logs are. And I don't really care all that much about any of this, but if I take this now, I can take it home with me. So I went ahead and took it home, played with it for an hour. It was junk, whatever it was. I wish I could remember what it was. Total junk. And I just remember feeling, even as a little kid, the regret of not trusting the person who was God in my life at the time, okay, and knew what was best because I just needed to get it satisfied right now. And what ended up happening is sometime later, I wound up with the Lincoln Logs and y'all. That was an amazing thing, right? You get two barrels of them. You can even build more houses. A total Lincoln Log nerd I turned into. But I missed out on because I just needed to get it done now. So apply that to job. Apply that to spouse. Apply that all these different things that we said. Even apply it to these, you know, the prodigal kids. And you know, I got I got to make this happen now. I have to. I have to. God say not yet, for whatever reason. Not yet. Adrian Rogers, Pastor Adrian Rogers said, the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had took a second, didn't it? But you get that. It's the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. I'm going to read a slew of verses. You might want to close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. Be your big people. Do whatever you want to do. But I want you to think about these. Let these sink in. This is the point, is to be reminded. I'm not saying anything that y'all don't already know. We're just reminding ourselves of what God says about waiting and why it's important. Like it's part of every single one of our lives, okay? And He's He's reinviting us back into saying, "Trust me, trust me." Isaiah forty thirty one. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength; they'll mount up with wings like eagles they'll run and not be weary, they'll walk and not faint. Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. I like that. Let your heart take courage. Oh, I need that. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Yes, even more than the watchmen who are waiting for the morning. Lamentations 3, verse 25. The Lord, he's good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him, It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Galatians 6, 9. Let's not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll reap. If we do not give up, be patient and keep doing good. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 goes right along with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. A couple more. Romans 12, 12, this is almost like a a little patience formula. Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. when Things are going difficult. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. In Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, talk to God with thanksgiving. Keep presenting your request to God. And be reminded that he has your good and his glory as the ultimate standards of outcomes for any of these situations that we find ourselves in. Our good and his glory for whatever it is that we find ourselves in. What does waiting on God do for us Again, I just wrote a couple things down here for myself. You can add to this list. This is just, I just want you to chew on this and see if this applies to you. One of the things that it does is it just challenges our faith. Waiting on God challenges our faith. Simple, but it, it does. It, you really find out what you believe about God when you get put in these situations where it's like, am I going to do me? Me? Or am I going to do what my conscious and the spirit inside me is saying to do? And the community of people, even a lot of times that we have around us, that's encouraging me either not to do or to do. Am I going to listen to that? Or am I going to live by faith? And it's like Sunday morning if you were here. Is, am I turning to Jesus of Nazareth, the celebrity? Or Jesus, the son of David, who's the Messiah, when I'm praying? Again, nobody knows. nobody knows that except you. Nobody can tell which that is, except me for myself. Am I praying to Jesus, son of David, who's God? Or am I just praying to Jesus of Nazareth, the celebrity? It's just a celebrity. Maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. The second thing, it exercises, waiting on God exercises our ability to be patient it exercises that ability. Why is that important? Well, because one of the fruits of the Spirit, remember, is love, joy, peace, patience. It's actually something that we should be growing in as a result of our walk with God. Most of us want to grow in patience without ever having to be patient. With me? That's what yeah, give me patience without ever actually having to wait. But it just doesn't work that way. So it's just even kind of built into this, again, this mantra that becomes almost cliche. Well, no, one of the fruits, one of the evidences of your growth is that when you're faced with an opportunity to wait on God, you will more often than not wait and leave the results to him and see what happens. A third thing, it, train, it trains me. When I wait on God, it trains submission into my life, which I need to... Look, as Americans, we don't know that much about submission, We don't like talking about it. In any category, we don't like talking about the idea of submission. But for this to work, I have to submit myself. I have to give myself up daily and say, not my will, but yours be done. And this waiting trains me to get better at submitting to God. And then ultimately, what waiting on God does is gives me the opportunity to enjoy the blessing The encouragement that comes from seeing His good hand in something. Every time I do this, and again, I will just say this is by way of testimony. Every time I have done this, and God has shown Himself, He has showed up. What that's done is it's given me courage to trust Him for the next one. That's just the way it works. So again, there's older heads in here that are nodding, right? You guys have had lots of opportunities. to to rise and fall when it comes to waiting on God. You've got your own history. Young people, you're going to get a ton of chances to trust God, to wait for him, for all these different things that we've talked about. And the sooner you get on the trust train, the sooner he'll be able to confirm himself in your heart such that the next time he gives you something that might be even bigger that you need to wait on, you'll be able to do it. Not saying it just becomes easy. You still have to wake up every day and say, God, be here. I need need you to help me to be conscious of your presence. I need you to remind me of your truths. Remind me of the stories. Let me hear the verses again. Surround me with some people that'll go with me, right? And talk truth to me. Gotta have some people around me. But if you do it once, the next time becomes a lot easier. My goodness, I don't have time to tell this whole story, but I'm gonna try to tell you a short version of it. I became a Christian. You give me a five-minute sign back there, Nolan? Nolan gave me all these hand signals before we started. He, there he, that's a five-minute sign right there. I'm going to give you the four-minute and 30-second version. <laughs> so I come back and I become a Christian in 1988. That summer, I went on a, a Hume Lake-type experience and worked with this group called Athletes in Action. Completely changed my life complete, like I'm 30 years later, I still work with athletes in action, okay? Enough said. That summer did that. The following summer, I was planning on going back to have the same experience, okay? Just before, I had raised money. I had friends that we were all going to carpool out to Colorado. It's in Fort Collins at Colorado State. Could not wait to go back again. And I can tell you this. My family was a mess, okay? That's a whole nother story, completely dysfunctional mess, Okay, so part of the reason I wanted to leave was just to get away from that, really. A week before I was supposed to leave, me and my mom had a major meltdown. Like, my kids don't even know this, I don't think. The kind of meltdown where the police get called. Meltdown, okay. Uh, And it was just volatile in our home. I was volatile. She was volatile. It was bad. And so the police um, did not take me away, but my mom said I had to move out of the home. Like, that was the condition. Well, great. I'm getting ready to move out of the home. I'm going back to Jesus land with my friends. Like, that's probably the reason why I want to get out of here. And I remember as soon as I started to comfort myself with that, I started to feel something inside of me that was saying, and it was the spirit of God that was saying, ah, Jesus land is going to be staying right here this summer. And I went to my best friend's house, and I sobbed. For the, it was the one of the hardest times I'd ever cried in my life. Like he kept asking me what was wrong, and I couldn't even explain it to him. And it was like I was just ripped inside with this this conflict of I want to go, and this would mean I got to get my money back. I'm not going to get to travel with my friends, right? All the, I got to go back and live with her. Right? I don't want to go back home. And that was the first time that I was really confronted with that that sense of no. Now, your project is going to be to stay right here this summer. And so over the course of a few days, I fought, my, fought with the Lord, and I finally said, you know what? I'm going, to do, I'm going to stay here. And I went back, and I apologized to my mom, sent back the money to the people that were supporting us, called my friends to say I can't go. They tried talking me into it. I said, get thee behind me, Satan, basically. Like, don't, don't. I got to stay, okay? And you guys, this is what happened. I ended up meeting a man that became um, just one of the most critical figures in my life over the last 30 years, Daryl Farney, because I started going to this different church that I hadn't attended before. He just preached my dad's funeral, helped me preach my dad's funeral a few months ago, okay, 35 years ago. Met him, opened up a whole different world that I wouldn't have been opened up to if I hadn't stayed home. By staying home and just asking God every day, help me be Jesus here right now. I can't stand this situation, but now you left me here. You better show up through me, right? It, was, it did it kind of turned into that. Like, I don't know what this is all about, but I need you to do something. Four and a half minute version. We're probably already past it. I went golfing with my, uh, my friend one day, came home, and my mom was standing there. And she said, Edward, I need you to tell your friends to leave. And I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. Here we go again with something. So I say goodbye to them. I walk in the house. I say, what is it? And she she comes up to me and she puts her arms out. And she said, I just want you to know uh, that today I went to visit Pastor Farney, who was the pastor I was telling you about. And I gave my life to the Lord. And I remember standing there and she put her arms around me. I remember just standing there like I didn't even pick my hands up. I'm just like, that didn't just happen. It's like when everybody was praying for Peter to get out of jail, and then he got, like, set free, and he was standing at the door, and they didn't let him in. You remember that story? Right? And that's what it was, because we'd been praying. I had people all over the country praying. i have been praying. I'm like, Lord, show up. Do something, da-da-da-da-da. Well, he did. And it completely changed my mom's world. My dad became a Christian. My sisters became Christians, like, over the course of the next few months. Okay, so that's a Kendrick Brothers movie, Right? Like it all wraps up and turns out really wonderful. It doesn't always happen like that. And some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, I haven't had that kind of deliverance yet. I don't know why God gave that to me, but I will tell you this. From that point forward, I knew that he could be trusted when he put that feeling in me to wait. I haven't always listened to it, okay, but, but most of the time I have because I took that one step to say, yes, I'll trust you with this and see, see what happens. Okay, that's it people are leaving <laughs> Nolan, Nolan's clock has gone over it's 8-12 Lord help us to trust you oh there's so much going on inside this room and feelings that people have as they listen to verses and listen to that story and just I know Lord would you meet us in our pain meet us in our frustration meet us in whatever little bit of hope we still have And help us to trust you that you really do have our best and your glory in mind. And help us to submit to that and leave the results to you. So many different stories represented in this room. Would you bless these people with your word and with confidence that you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen.